Autonomous Zone, how are you? Well, I hope. It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the Beacon Recorded Human Days to be alive. Guess what? You know, I always say to you, you know, when we're doing these uh, disco DJ sets, you know, when we're doing these turbo dance parties, I'll be like, hey, get up on a table. If you've got a table, get up on a table. All you need is a table. You know, we, we don't actually have a table. Like we lived, we, we moved into this house, what, four months ago? And uh, all we had when we moved in was uh, the music studio stuff that, that uh, we put fit in, in a car, you know, that we drove across the country. And uh, Charlotte and Hercules came on an aeroplane with a couple of bags, you know? We came in with nothing, you know? We didn't have no furniture, none of that, you know? And, and you know, stuff is expensive, so we couldn't straight up just like buy everything straight away. So just like bit by bit. We've been like, you know, yeah, we still don't got beds or nothing like that. You know, it's a bit by bit. And today, brothers and sisters, 
I am excited and uh, proud and uh, joyful, joyful to tell you, we got a table. Whoa. We got a table. We got a table, baby. Charlotte, uh, my beautiful wife, Mamadan, found it on OfferUp. And uh, a lovely man drove it over in his great big truck. And he said, hey, you guys from England? I said, yeah. He said, welcome to Texas. And uh, it's so nice when people say welcome to Texas, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. So, uh, yo, we got a table. And it's pretty stable. I drilled the legs onto it myself with my uh, wonderful uh, Milwaukee drill, my Milwaukee power thing. Shouts out to Milwaukee. I'm aiming at a sponsorship, you know. I'm hoping there's someone in Milwaukee as a fan and watches these streams and is like, hey, we should sponsor Akira the Don. Let's just give him loads of power tools. I want power tools. And also, uh, Milwaukee do clothing. And it's heated clothing. You press a button and it gets hot. I mean, what? How about that? Anyway, shout out to everybody locked in. Everyone's congratulating. Everyone live is congratulating me on the table. That's so nice. Thank you, guys. Thank you for those heartfelt congratulations on the table from Robert Easley, Sheila, and Walking Walpo, and uh, Al Alvaro, Cornell, and everyone else. <laughs> YouTube Hero Alex says, sponsor us Milwaukee, exactly. Also, Home Depot says YouTube Hero Alex, and that just goes without saying. It goes without saying, baby. A bunch of my my former peers, you know, they all got like vodka sponsorships. A bunch of people I used to DJ with got like sponsored by this weird, some vodka brand, I can't remember what it was, but they all, all of them suddenly started like posting Instagram pictures holding big bottles of vodka and be like, ah, half of them don't drink and half of them are functioning alcoholics. So in both cases, it was kind of disingenuous and weird. Yo. Anyway, yeah, I ain't no Novaka sponsorship. I, I want a Milwaukee sponsorship. I want a power, power tool sponsorship. And that'll be just great for me. Yeah. Anyway, welcome one and all. You might have seen from the title of the stream or the description. I don't know. I know not everybody reads those things. I know a lot of you just have this. Uh, a lot of you have this on the podcast feed. And I guess it just comes on automatically in the morning and you just listen to it, you know? Well, today. Uh, today we're going to do something uh, which I've been wanting to do for a long time. And um, it's like, hang on, why don't. Look. A little while ago, I was very much enjoying listening to uh, John Vivaki's. Uh, oh, wait, I don't know why I mispronounce his name all the time. I always do. I don't know why. I think it's, oh, he'll tell you himself in a minute. Uh, Viveki? Viveki, yeah. Anyway, I've been listening to John Viveki's Meaning Crisis, you know. And I used to listen to it um, famously on the way to Don Studios when I was going to Don Studios in, in Los Angeles when I had a studio in downtown Los Angeles, you know. Uh, I, used to go, I used to go there from West Hollywood, uh, which I guess was, how long, how far was that? Was that 10 miles or 16 miles? I can't remember. Anyway, I used to go on an e-scooter. Which is very dangerous, but I had some. I loved it so much, you know. And I'd ride on my e-scooter from West Hollywood to downtown Los Angeles, and then I'd ride back again as the sun went down, you know. And the sun was going down in front of me, and I'd ride through Los Angeles with a great big Los Angeles sunset right in front of me, right? Just this beautiful. One of the one of the one of the things I fell in love with about Los Angeles is uh, its sunsets, you know. Its sunsets are just full blown like my aesthetic. Just this beautiful neon, uh, just 
just like gradient. It's, it's deeply, deeply beautiful, and I'm very glad I got to experience it, you know, and I'll carry it with me always. It's one of those things I'll carry with me, you know. I, uh, I treasure it. I treasure it. Uh, I treasure those sunsets, you know. And I used to ride into them, you know. I was aiming right at them. Boom! Right in on the uh, e-scooter. Listening to John Viveki. Uh, whispering sweet nothings to me about uh, the history of consciousness <laughs> and the crisis of meaning uh, that uh, he was explaining we, we were undergoing, you know, as, as a people in a species. And hours and hours and hours of that stuff I listened to, you know, there's like 46 episodes and they're all about an hour long. Anyway, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it was dangerous work, you know, because I'd be listening to stuff, what with me being a wave lord and all, and I'd be listening to stuff. And uh, and I keep hearing things that want to turn into a song, you know? And I'm like, ah, I'm trying to stop the scooter and make a note. And you, and I'd just be constantly getting myself. I actually had a number of accidents uh, due to that, you know? I came off my scooter one night listening to The Meaning Crisis. And I got like ran off the road. And I hit a bit of pavement. And the pavement had a bit of pavement coming out of that. And I went flying and I snapped the neck of my e-scooter, you know? And, and dorks myself a bit, but uh, it was worth it, baby, for that sweet, sweet meaning. <laughs> sweet, sweet meaning. <sighs> anyway, like I was saying, it was like, so yeah, I listened to that. And uh, I wrote down loads of bits I want to turn into songs, you know, but there was loads I missed. And I was like, I'm going to have to listen to it, like, again, you know. I was like, hey. And it's also like, it's like, how am I going to, it's so much material, oh my goodness. And the rate I'm working at, you know, and the speed with which I'm trying to put things out, like, basically to listen to the whole meaning crisis and, and work through it properly to find what records it is, that's like months of work. And I was like, hey, could like listen to it on the stream and, uh, and, and live score it. And that way I'd find the rhythm of it maybe. And, Maybe something magical would happen. I thought, hey, why don't I just try one as an experiment, you know? Try one as an experiment see, and see how it is. Uh, since I've got the capture card now and I can, I can broadcast uh, one machine to another machine and the vocal syncs, you know? Anyway, so I figured we'd try that tonight. How, what do you think? Do, you, uh, what do you think about that idea? Would you like, would you like that? Would you like to hear uh, Viveki John? Meaning Crisis with some Akira, with Akira the Don playing some music. What do you say, Meaning Wave Autonomous Zone? Regular Pub says he's ready, and Fuzzy3202 says yes, please. And Mount Photo Lounge says I'm so down with this. And YouTube Hero Alex says I'm excited, I haven't heard anything from this lecture series. D Man says please, and N Doolittle says yeah. And Jigwon Keeper says, let's get down, down mega. Burr! 2076 is 100. Did 2076 need some prayers? Prayers for 2076. I think I saw something flash across the screen earlier. Prayers for you, baby. Defias says, sounds delightful. Al Rock 024 says, it's storming. Belvinazzi says, that sounds hella rad. And Cindy Bailey says, let's do this. Okay, people seem to think that this is an okay idea. Wow, good, all right. Mason says, I'm ignorant, uneducated, and willing. That's like the best state to be in. That's the best state to be in. Uh, Ryan Hack says, will the Christmas album be Meaning Wave Christmas 2? No, it's a lo-fi Christmas, a lo-fi Christmas miracle. 
is the album that's releasing this week. That's the album that's releasing this week. What's up, wife? came in and said uh, someone's very worried that we don't have beds and to tell them we'd have beds we don't have bed frames yeah we got mattresses on the floor like students why are you yeah just in case you're worried that we're lying on the floor like Japanese people no we have mattresses like students (laughs) whoa Very cozy it is too. uh, Alright, so we'll get into that in a second. We'll get into that in just a second. But before we get into that, let's uh, remind ourselves uh, who this fellow is. Because we've heard this fellow before in the Meaning Wave universe. Yes, yes, we have. Oh, my gosh, my spaceship is very wobbly today. Yo, look at this. It's very wobbly. When I say we didn't have a table, I do have like this fold-up table that the DJ equipment is on. And I look forward to replacing it with a desk that I build, will build with wood from Home Depot. Uh, very soon. Soon that will occur. And uh, it will be very wonderful when that is made to occur. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Yes, we have heard the beautiful, beautiful voice and mind of uh, Vivaki, Vivaki John. Prior in the Meaning Wave universe. And uh, so as a refresher, as a refresher, I'm going to play this song now. And I'll spe- play the special live version that uh, everybody loves. You know, everybody loves the special live version. Everybody loves this version. Make some noise! <laughs> who gave us the AMA, gave me Blue Church, Jordan Hall. And part of that is uh, this idea, which is the religion that's not a religion and coming trying to come up with um, a post-religious faith. Because here's the idea. This is probably, the, in some ways, my most radical idea. I want to do what, like, Augustine did as the Roman Empire is falling. He laid the foundation. He laid the cultural cognitive grammar for an entirely different culture. And then he stole the culture bottom-up. Laid the cultural cognitive grammar for an entirely different culture, and they stole the culture bottom up. Oh, I want to help steal the culture. Away. Steal it away. Steal it away. I want to help steal the culture. Away. Steal it away. Steal it away. I want to try and do that. 
I want to try and create the systems of meaning, the, the religion of the tribe, religion, the ecologies of practices, the communities, the networks of communities. All of this is already happening. We really empower it, both in terms of its grammar, give it the best scientific tools for engineering the practices and the ecology of practices. I basically want to steal the culture. It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the Big of Recording Human Civilization by Joe. Oh. 
Ой, все, дой! Йо! Йо, йо, йо! Shouts out to everybody looked in. Smash that like. Likes need smashing, baby. If you don't smash likes, if you don't make stuff, there is no stuff. If you don't smash the likes, all the likes don't get smashed, do they? And nobody likes that. Likes like smashing, baby. There's something I like. I like likes. It's get. It's smashment. It's a smashment. DL, how many Akira albums will we need for the 50-part Meaning Crisis series? I told you that's what's so frustrating about listening to like, like, it's like each one is the album. Really? Well, I mean, you're about to see, you're about to see. What my guy here is doing is a kind of the history of the universe type of vibes. The history of meaning. And then the present of meaning and the future of meaning. It's very, very condensed as is. And you know what Akira the Don't Be doing. Now, I ain't saying it's impossible because I know it is possible. I know it's possible. You know, what I'd be doing is I'd be taking, uh, you know, I'd be condensing even further into the essence of the thing, that diamond. I'm taking that, that lump of beautiful coal and I'm smashing that thing down into a beautiful gem, you know? A beautiful, catchy gem. Yo! Andrew Kamarami says, I can't believe I needed a reminder to smash like. I know, I gotta be telling you all every single day. Every single day, I gotta be like, smash that like. Share that link. Post that link somewhere. Meaning Wave exists. I gotta keep telling you all. And that's fine. You know, there's a lot of things I have to tell myself every day, too. Certain things you just gotta keep reminding yourself, you know? There's like a principle I discovered, I don't know, a bunch of years ago, and I had to keep reminding myself the, you know, the idea that uh, you, if you don't value, no one's gonna value you more than you value you, right? No one's gonna, and if you, no one's gonna value your time more than you value your time. And if you don't value your time, no one else is gonna fucking value your time, you know? And if you, one way to value you and value your time is to put an actual value on you and your time, you know, like a monetary value, like I am this much an hour. And then if there's some stuff that you're doing, which isn't the thing that you were put here on earth to do, that someone else could do, and maybe they could do it better, and it, they charge less than your hourly rate, then it makes sense to get them to do it. You know, and, uh, and any time I've done that in my life, things have got way, way better real fast and stuff has opened up, you know, uh, in a real fast way. And then I forget about it sometimes. And then I sit there doing stupid shit that someone else could do. Like, and the problem is, is when you're doing stuff that someone else could do, you are not doing what you should do and you are therefore leaving a big gaping hole in the cosmos. And that's not cool. You know what I mean? That's not groovy. There was a period in my life where certain things were the things for me to be doing. I was learning or I was whatever it was, you know? But uh, right now... Politics, politics is and creepy. This isn't the, the correct music. <laughs> That's not the correct backing check. No, it isn't. It is not. Uh, this is probably better. Uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? Yeah, at this point in my life, right? For example, I found myself last week uploading an album and filling in all the metadata. It takes hours to do that, right? And the amount of time it takes to do that, I could make two songs, right? And I found myself doing that. I was like, why am I doing this? I, I, should, I, should, I can get a VA to do this. And they need the work. This is stupid. 
how you I keep it's very you have to keep reminding yourself of certain things particularly for like you know if you come from poverty because <laughs> you keep that poverty mindset that you came came up in it, it's very deep you know it's tendrils are very deep in your in your in you you know right in your rib cage like right up your ass like you know the tendrils of, of poverty mindset run deep baby and uh you know you might think you've yanked them all out but sometimes they re-sprouted and you got to get back in there and uh, uh, you know what i mean you got to get in there with the fork you know what i mean you got to get in there with that fork you know and you got to dig out there where you got to yank that thing right out and chuck it out the window you know and maybe rather than chucking it out the window you should build yourself a really powerful trebuchet and yeet it into the very sun the very sun itself and then maybe it'll take longer to, to respawn you know but you just got to monitor this shit you got to monitor so in that nature you know i'm going to keep telling you to smash that like and i'm going to keep reminding myself of these various things i need to remind myself of you know and uh in doing so we shall be the best us as we can be you know the very best us as we can be why why bother otherwise what else is there what else is there to do Hey, apart from an international high five. So let's do an international high five and then we can get on with this meaning crisis by Joe. Therefore, uh, for today's uh, international high five, I want to know from you where you are on God's green earth and tell me something that you have to remind yourself of or you want to remind us of. Whatever it is. Sometimes people are in the chat and they say, brush your teeth. And I go, where are you, where are you telling people to brush their teeth? And I'm like, oh, some people might forget. Some people might actually have forgotten. I had to tell my son to brush his teeth every night. This boy has listened to Jocko at bedtime for three three years, four years, and he still has to be told to brush his teeth. I think he likes it. I think he just likes being told, you know? <sighs> All right, what's cracking? Where's everyone at? Mason says, another beautiful day at MAZ. You already know. Hey, what up, Matt Lally? Appreciate you, baby. Says Ted and his dad rock into the MAZ. God bless. All right, let's see what people are saying. Uh, Jug Keeper just shared on Twitter. There you go. What a guy. Let me retweet you, Jug. Oh yeah, shout out to the uh, to the people at Penguin uh, Marketing. A bunch of the staff at Penguin apparently got so upset that Jordan Peterson's got a new book coming out and Penguin are publishing it. They cried, apparently. That's the news story. Uh, and of course, this massive news story. And now anyone who missed the announcement that there was a, a Peterson book coming out, well, they know now, don't they? Thank you to uh, the, the these people who just keep on doing this incredible publicity job for Jordan B. Peterson and always have. It's amazing that after all these years, they continue to selflessly go out there and promote Jordan Peterson to the world. God bless you, cuties. Jake Pounders, I'm retweeting you right now. Oh, and it just brought up a hashtag of Meaning Wave Exists. That's a nice hashtag. What a lovely hashtag. Meaning Wave Exists. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah, we were reading the chat. Hey, chat, you cutie. Jug won't keep it. Meaning Wave Exists. Yes, it does. Advanced Apes, prayer hands emoji. Oranoka Wellington, what's up, man? Cedric Tej, pull ups in the basement. I'm not the wave. That sounds like a country song. Adam Stone, I'm from Newfoundland. I want to remind you that God loves you. 
Yeah, you do. Matthew Allison. Chat ran away. Chat always runs away. I need to stop it from doing that. How do I stop the chat from running away? Is there a way of doing it? There's got to be a robot I could use. Hey, Jug. Kansas City in the house. Don't forget to wash your R's. No, no. Shake your ass. Roll your ass. That's what they say in Wales, where they roll ass, you know. Uh, you roll your ass, yeah. If you're from Wales, yeah, you speak like this, and you roll your ass. So there was a re- Welsh rapper called MC Mabon, and he had a song that went, Shake your ass, roll your ass. It was a great song. Uh, A.O. Smith, I'm from New York City. Oh, good. How are you doing, New York City? Shout out to you. Happy Thanksgiving. House Farmer, Tacoma, WA, clean your room. There you go, good reminder. Squiggly Dig, the, the epic Squiggly Dig. Checking in from Virginia, and a reminder for myself and anyone else who needs it. There is always a future. Yeah. Matthew Allison, Faith is Without Limits. Andrew Kamaromi, Scarborough. I vow to love myself. Yeah, yeah. A man like Kamal. Benjamin Gunn, West Virginia, gotta breathe and body scan. What is that? Is that like a dance? Breathe and body scan. It sounds like something Missy Elliott would have been doing in the 90s. I like that. Walking more per Virginia and do daily routines. If I don't, I become weird. People do like routines, don't they, humans? The human animal loves a routine. The human animal loves a routine. That's why that's the human animal is a religious animal. Now, uh, Zach Souser, Boston, Massachusetts. I have to remind myself that every day is another day to get after it and not squander my time. Right, same. D-Man, Tri-State, needs to remind myself that I am in control. Yes, you are, D-Man. D, motherfucker, D. The D5, Bay Area, relax and don't give in to astonishment. Spagandi, share on my discords. Very good. Bleat Lama, Snowy, Colorado, I need to constantly remind myself that on the other side of difficulty is success. Mad Moon Rabbit in blessed Fla Fla, land of God. Uh, daily reminders of stoicism, patience requires well. Patience. Yeah, dude. That's real, so that's so real. Joke. Matt Lally, Florida, daily reminder, I command my attention. And attention is everything. Energy goes where attention flows. Or is it the other way around? Energy flows where attention goes. Yeah, that's real. Matthew Coat, Hatford CT Baby, I need to remind myself that time is running out. Fight that ticking clock. Punch that ticking clock in the very balls. Bye, Joe. Douglas Holloway, Perlin, Texas, about to get big suds with my good homies. That's very nice. Is that a euphemism? What's a big sud? Me and all my ignorance of cultural things. Robert Easley, my carbon-based avatar is in Chicago, and I need to remind myself it's just a game. It's all just a game. Spigandy, Flafla, share on my discords, yes. Belvanasi tuning in from Icy Kentucky, and I've got to remind myself to accomplish something every day and not just stagnate. Major key. We need a major key noise. I need a bell. I need like a bell. I could hit it and go ding, ding, ding if you hear a major key. Drink water. Ding, ding, ding. Ricardo Wontabe. Meaning wave exists. Santos, Brazil. Shouts out to you. 
And shouts out to Brazil. Uh, Finnegan McBride in California. I have to remind myself to tell the truth. Or at least don't lie. Douglas Holloway, big beers. Oh, yeah, of course. Big suds, big beers. Uh, <laughs> Adam Stone says, Akira, your streams are like a pill that cures stress. Well, that's good. You know, it's important to remember that anxiety uh, never fixed the thing uh, that it was being anxious about, you know? Never did. And worrying is praying for that which you do not want. Condridge Doll says, loving all these reminders. Right! 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 Fuzzy Cheese, greetings from Dark County, Ohio. Love you, Mass Fam. Love you. Melinda, Meaning Wave exists in Colorado, reminding us all to take deep, meaningful breaths. Don't take things personally. Love thyself. Also, smile. You know, those were some good reminders. That was a bunch of good reminders there packed into that single chat message, Melinda. Thank you. Thank you all. 2076 says, write a letter to your father. That's a good idea. That's a very good idea. Particularly if you've got a father like mine who doesn't like to talk for very long and you go, hey, Pops, what's going on? All right, see ya. I go, oh. I haven't seen you for six years. He's more of a see in person kind of a guy, but writing letters could be the thing. That's good, 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 good advice there from 2076. Polite Lama says, meaning wave is not a pit, it's a ladder. Shaz has a little finger. I will never get over how dirty those morons did, my boy. In season whatever it was, the one that's not canon. Anything after season three in Game of Thrones is not canon to me. Maybe bits of four, but I, it finishes there. For me, what up, Olivia K? Just joined and I'm loving the tunes. Good to see you. Uh, welcome, welcome. We're about to go in with a very special Meaning Wave Live experimental set. And uh, before we do that, we're going to do the international high five. If you're ready for the international high five in the chat, please raise your hands. You have to raise your hands to do the high five. In order to high five, you do first have to raise it up. So raise the hands. All right then. Three. Two. One, high, fuck! That was a lot, baby. That was a lot. Did you notice my beard tingling? See that? It went in, in the in the beard. Bump up. Whoa. Sound of the waves. Sound of the waves. Yo. Sound of the waves. Oh, bad job. Hey. Yeah. 
right, brothers and sisters, make some noise. If you're ready, then I'm ready. What up? Jeanette Gonzalez says hello from Mexico. Shout out to Mexico. We got Mexico in the house. We got Brazil in the house. We got Texas in the house. We got the world in the house, baby. Shout out to the whole world. Bye, Joe. Shout out to the whole beautiful flat earth riding on the back of a torso. So whatever the heck this thing is. God bless. It's beautiful to be here. This is a series in uh, which I am going to endeavor to put together uh, uh, pretty much uh, all of my work. Uh, my name is John Rovaki. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. I'm in the psychology department and in the cognitive science program. And I also teach for the Buddhism, psychology and mental health program. I produced a lot of videos on a lot of various topics. Some of you have perhaps seen them. But what I want to do now in this series is draw it all together and present to you an overall unified argument that can show you the interconnections between uh, pieces that you might have seen before. Now, how all this got started is um, I got very interested in a particular phenomenon. I got interested in the fact that there seemed to be a growing confluence um, between uh, people who are interested in Buddhism and people who are interested in cognitive science. We'll talk a little bit later as we go on uh, what cognitive science is. But you know some of this already in the world at large because we're going through what's called the mindfulness revolution. Mindfulness is being spoken of everywhere. I was in a bookstore yesterday, chapters, and there's a whole section just on mindfulness itself. So why is the mindfulness revolution occurring? Well, it's occurring particularly because of this intersection uh, between Buddhism and cognitive science. But why is this happening? And why is it, you know, so explosive in nature? And what do we mean by mindfulness? Uh, some of the work I've done is trying to get clear about that. We're going to talk about that uh, in, this, in this series. Now, there's also a lot of other things that, in my mind, seem to be convergent with this uh, growing confluence between Buddhism and cognitive science. There is an increasing interest both academically and in the public at large in the topic of wisdom, something that people did not talk about very much not that long ago. Well, wisdom is now a very hot topic within psychology and cognitive science. And books offering to train you in wisdom are again becoming popular. Same bookstore experience yesterday. I bought my son a book called How to Be a Stoic. Right? This, is a, this is like, how is it that a philosophical position from the Hellenistic era has become a popular book that people are seeking? Why is there this hunger for wisdom? And why are people meeting it with these kinds of things? The Stoicism, the philosophies of the Hellenistic period. I'm going to talk about that. I think there's good reason for that. 
Of course, there's increasing academic and public interest in psychedelics. I just gave a talk uh, earlier uh, this week at Yale about psychedelics and the increasing interest in psychedelics and psychedelic experiences. You're seeing radical things with them. People can be released from treatment-resistant addiction. Uh, they can overcome uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Like the normal with the best therapy, right? Solution rate for people with post-traumatic stress disorder is about, right? You know, if things go really well, 20% or so. You introduce psychedelics into the therapy and you can get the, right, the healing rate up to 80%. So, what's going on there? Why is there this interest? There's an increasing public interest, which is matched by a huge academic in, in the topics of happiness. Now, we, we've always been a happiness-oriented culture, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and so forth, right? But it's taken a particularly interesting turn. The topic of meaning, and meaning in life is coming to the fore. People in more and more are talking about not just sort of sheer contentedness, but what it is for a human life to be meaningful. And it turns out that meaning in life is terrifically important. It's very predictive of well-being. It's very predictive of how well you are doing in your life in general. So it is no wonder that our people are seeking it out. Now my, my contention and what I'm gonna argue is it's no coincidence that all of these things are happening right now. It's no coincidence. This confluence between Buddhism, the mindfulness revolution, the interest in wisdom and ancient philosophies like Stoicism, the increasing public interest in psychedelics and transformative experiences and mystical experiences, right? The increasing academic and public interest in meaning in life. There's all a reason for, there's, there, there's a unifying account for why this is happening. But there's another set of things. This is sort of the light side of what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a, there's a set of dark factors that seem to be converging as well, right? We have what seems to be, although there, you know, people are disputing it, but I think the evidence is becoming clearer and clearer. The CDC just released some data recently. We're going through a me mental health crisis. Suicide is spiking, and it's, right? Now, there are some socioeconomic factors, but there's clearly other things that are at work. Right? There's increasing sense, many people are expressing it, of losing touch with reality. We encounter more and more often in individuals and groups nihilism, expressions of cynicism, expressions of deep kinds of frustration and futility. You have the abandonment of trust in any of our public institutions. We're losing, right, we've completely lost any sort of faith or trust in our political system. We're losing faith in our judicial system, right? Uh, religious affiliation is declining consistently throughout people's participation in right, clubs, organization is in decline. In general, and my co-authors on the book on zombies in Western culture, the 21st century crisis, Chris Massapietro and Philip Misovic, we, we argued, right, that 
the, the sense of being out of touch has gone on with an increasing sense. And we'll talk about this because I'm going to use this term technically. We're going to talk about this and Frankfurt's use of it. There's an increasing sense of more and more bullshit everywhere, pervading. And if you take a look at the book, we actually chart how this has been spiking. And it's concorded with all kinds of other increases in these dark factors. People are getting the sense that we're spending, and you can see this already in the public media, but it's, it's also within the academic world, that we're spending too much time in our virtual environments. There seems to be increasing evidence, for example, of right, a connection between various social media, increased depression, increased loneliness. And then more in general, and we'll talk about how this shows up a little bit more implicitly. It shows up in the entertainment we seek and the mythologies we like, like the zombies. We're going to talk about that. Why are zombies so big, right? Why are superheroes so big right now, right? There's an increase, the, this, these mythological, and we'll talk about what myth means, these mythological forms, I'm going to argue are expressions of a cultural sense, a sense that we're stuck somehow. One way you can note that is just by noting how pervasive, almost to the point of being a, a constant factor in our background, is people talking about crisis and collapse, apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, the imminent collapse of civilization. All of these things are now pervasive. They're taken for granted. At one point, right, the you know, movies demonstrating this had to be sort of science fiction, they were considered radical, right? But now, this is becoming a pervasive background sense. Now, I think all of these negative factors also have a unifying explanation. In fact, what I'm going to argue throughout the course of this series is that the positive factors and the negative factors all point to a unified explanation. This is going to be an idea that our culture is experiencing a profound meaning crisis, a crisis in meaning. Now we're going to have to talk about what does that meaning mean. No, I'm not claiming that this is the only crisis we're facing. Far from it. What I want to do, in fact, is talk about how the meaning crisis is interacting with other crises the environmental crisis, the socioeconomic crisis. But in addition to those, which are quite well discussed in the public at large, there is a meaning crisis, which is being discussed quite significantly within academia, but needs to be brought to the public at large. Because one of the things I'm going to argue is that these three crises are not, inter not independent from each other, they're interdependent in important ways. But what is this meaning? that's come into crisis. Why do we hunger for it? How do we cultivate the wisdom, because that's what I'm going to argue wisdom is ultimately about, to generate, enhance this meaning? Wisdom is about realizing, in both senses of the word, becoming aware and making real. It's about, wisdom is about realizing meaning in life in a profound way. How do we cultivate this wisdom? What does it mean? 
And I'm not going to talk about that just practically. I'm going to talk about, I mean, not just theoretically. I'm going to talk about that practically as well. What are some practices that people can engage in and are engaging in to try and address this need for the cultivation of wisdom? What role, for example, do, do mindfulness practices play within the cultivation of wisdom? So, here's the three questions that are, we're going to keep coming back to again and again and again. What is this meaning? Why do we hunger for it? And how do we cultivate the wisdom to realize it? So, some of the topics, of course, we're going to be addressing are centrally the meaning crisis. How did this kind of meaning evolve? Why, like, what is it? Why is it so important to the evolution of our humanity? Then more specifically, the history of the meaning crisis. Why did it arise? What are the historical factors? By doing that, we'll get in a historical account of meaning. We'll get a sense of what this meaning is that has come into crisis, that people individually feel they are lacking or losing in their lives. We want to talk about connections between meaning, wisdom, and importantly, self-transcendence. It's going to turn out that this notion of self-transcendence, again, which we'll have to develop and explicate, is something that's a core need because it forms core functions for human beings. It's bound up with these ideas of wisdom and, of course, meaning. And along the way, in fact, right from the beginning, we're going to start to see that there's deep connections between meaning, wisdom, self-transcendence, and altered states of consciousness. Why do human beings seek to alter their consciousness? In fact, not just human beings, other intelligent organisms seek to do this, right? Caledonian crows will tumble down roofs in order to make themselves dizzy for no other purpose than to alter their state of consciousness. What is going on? Why does intelligence need to be conjoined to an altered state of consciousness? And why in particular have human beings developed very sophisticated processes generating, harnessing, and interpreting these altered states of consciousness? We're going to talk about that in connection with shamanism and ritual. We're going to talk about that in connection to the flow state. This is when you're in the zone and why people seek it and why it's so powerful. We're going to talk about it, as I mentioned, in connection with psychedelic experiences. More importantly, the mystical experiences that can occur within some psychedelic experience, because it turns out it's the mystical experience that is more important and transformative. But there's a subset of those mystical experiences that are very crucial. These are awakening experiences. These are experiences in which people come back from the mystical experience and say, that was somehow more real than this, and I need to change my world. I need to change myself. They engage in what L.A. Paul has called a transformative experience, what is also known as quantum change, a radical transformation of their lives. And we know, we've got good research now showing that they're right. Their lives get better after these awakening experiences. We're going to talk about that in depth. And dare I say it, maybe we can bring all of this together and actually propose, and, and maybe some people will be affronted by this, but 
propose a scientific, a cognitive, scientific account of what enlightenment is and why it alleviates the suffering from lack of meaning that is particularly pertinent for us today, but has always been a perennial threat since the Axial Revolution. Now that means, of course, we're going to have to also talk about topics that have connection with the darker aspects, as I said, of meaning-making. What's the connection, because they're deep and profound, between this meaning-making that is so central and our endemic capacity for self-deception, for self-destruction? There's a reason why we are so awash in bullshit, because bullshit is a perennial threat to us. Self-deception is endemic. That means it'll be important to talk about foolishness as something different from ignorance. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Foolishness is a lack of wisdom. Foolishness is when your capacity to engage your agency, pursue your goals, is undermined and threatened by the self-deception and the self-destructive behavior that is a, 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 like a perennial vulnerability to your cognition. In fact, what I'm going to argue is the very same machinery that makes you so adaptively intelligent is the same machinery that makes you susceptible to foolishness. That will take us into some of the topics that are relevant to people's existential experience, the meaning crisis, topics like absurdity, alienation, futility, horror, real horror. Most horror movies aren't horror. We'll talk about what horror really is and what people experience when they're actually experiencing horror. Their sense of grip on reality is being undermined. And people, and people find people that, find as you can imagine, terrifying. We're going to talk about meaninglessness and why and why more people experience this state, the state of despair. And once we do that, right, as we're moving into these kinds of topics, we will be moving gradually from the historical account of the origin of the meaning crisis, which will give us some sense from the history of what this meaning is. But we'll be moving into the cognitive scientific study of cognition, the cognitive scientific investigation of meaning and meaning making. Look, when people use this word meaning, it's a metaphor. They mean, they mean there's, there's something, something in their life that is analogous to how a sentence has meaning. The pieces fit together in some way. They make an impact on your cognition and connect you to the world in some way. There's something about our lives that is analogous to the way sentences have meaning. We have to unpack that metaphor. What, why is the metaphor used? And what does the metaphor point to when we talk about the meaning of our lives? How is it, in fact, that some of the most meaningful experiences people have are precisely ones that are completely ineffable to them, that they can't put into words? 
What's going on? We're going to have to talk about different kinds of knowing, some of them that have fallen off our cultural radar precisely because of the meaning crisis. We tend to have reduced all of the ways that the ancients talked about how we know to one thing. To, to know is to have a special kind of belief. And so we are very belief-centric, which is why we are so focused as a culture on ideologies. But it turns out that we're going to have to have a much more expanded notion of what knowing means. There is much more to knowing than having justified true beliefs. There's the kind of knowing that's involved in knowing how to catch a baseball. There's the kind of knowing of what it is like to be having this experience right now. There's the kind of knowing that is knowing what it's like to be in something you're participating in, like a relationship. We're going to have to talk about all of that. Now, of course, some of you might be aware of those other kinds of knowing because you know how integral and important they are to therapy, which is another thing that is booming in our culture. Part of why it's booming is the meaning crisis. Part of why it's booming is because people seek out therapy precisely because they're trying to recover these lost kinds of knowing. the kinds of insight that is needed, the kind of transformation, not of your beliefs, but of how you see things. Your sense of self and your sense of realness have to be transformed often in therapy. That is why the psychedelics are so important for therapeutic success, because they, transfer, they transform these other kinds of knowing. We're gonna talk about all of that. This will give us this will give us a structural, functional account of meaning. What is the structure of it? What are its cognitive processes? What are its cognitive mechanisms? Akira. How do they function? How can they fall into dysfunction? And we're going to have this historical account and this structural, functional account, and we're going to make them talk to each other. They're going to inform and constrain and enable each other. And from that dialogue, what I propose, audacious as it might sound, is a real response to the meaning crisis. An awakening from the meaning crisis. That's what this series is about. Awakening from the meaning crisis. Not in some ideological fashion, but in a profound, transformative, and existential manner. So this is not something that I can do simply. Because this is not a problem for which there are simplistic answers. If anybody offers you an answer to this crisis in an hour, I would wager that they are deceiving you, manipulating, or they are themselves significantly self-deceived. There's a reason why we're stuck. There's a reason why this is hard. This is a complex and difficult thing we are undertaking. So this series is going to be several videos long because I'm going to carefully and I hope responsibly build an argument to try and show how we can awaken from the meaning crisis. 
how that meaning crisis interacts with the mental health crisis, how it interacts with the environmental crisis, how it interacts with the socioeconomic crisis. Now, this is my commitment to you. I will always do my best to offer rigorous, rational argumentation. I will try my best to give proper scholastic credit to other people. Please understand that I'm aware that I'm not, and nobody should be, claiming to offer you the absolute uncontested truth. I'm going to offer you good arguments, good evidence. But I don't want this to be an academic series. I do my academic work and I'm proud of it, but this, I want this to be for people who are coming to this precisely because of a genuine personal existential interest. So I will try to keep jargon and technicalities to a minimum. I will have to introduce terms to you and I hope to explain them carefully along the way. So, my commitment to you is to, I, I can't be unbiased. That's, that's not a thing. What I will try my best to do is to present to you my arguments, my viewpoints, and why I think they can be understood to be highly plausible. So, I want to start with how and why is this meaning so, so, so much a part of our humanity? Why is it sewing in uh, to our humanity so much? And I think the thing that we want to, we want to understand is, I have to start somewhere, right? And, and that can be misleading because I, I think, and, and one of my, my co-authors, Philip Misovich, um, he, this is something that he's very concerned with, right? I think this is a continuum question. I think the, the deep connections between meaning making and cognition go deeply back into our evolutionary heritage, way before uh, our humanity. But uh, that's, right? So the fact that I'm starting somewhere is not meant to indicate that this is the absolute starting point. What I want to do is point to a time when many people think our humanity, the kind of people we are now, it came into form, not fully like the way it is now, because of course there's been lots of historical and cultural processes, but the kind of humanity that we would recognize as us, and how much this was bound up with meaning making in the way that I've been talking about. So this period is known as the Upper Paleolithic Transition. It occurs around 40,000 BCE. Now what's interesting about this is that biologically, as a species, we've, we had existed much longer than this. We existed about, you know, it, of course, there's some controversy around this, but conservatively since about 200,000 BC. But around, again, roughly 40,000 BC, there's a change, a radical change. Now, again, Picking a specific time makes it look like there's, this, there's nothing before, there are no precursors. 
Some people have presented the Upper Paleolithic transition that way. I'm not doing that. I think that's a mistake. There's a continuum. You can see it back. But at some point, there's this radical change, the Upper Paleolithic transition. You see things, human beings doing things they're not doing before. They're making art. They're making representational art. They're making sculpture. They're making cave paintings. We have good evidence they start making music. What else are they doing? Well, we have some pretty good evidence, right? That there's significant enhancement in their cognition. How do we know this? Well, we have the first use of calendars. Obviously not with numbers and dates, because numeracy hasn't been invented. But you have the symbolic representation of the phases of the moon and the passage of days. And so human beings are keeping track of time across very abstract patterns so that they can enhance their hunting abilities. Something else is happening, which, again, it, it's so intrinsic to our humanity, right? We're developing projectile weapons. We're developing projectile weapons. So the Neanderthals, who are contemporaneous with uh, Homo sapiens at this time, uh, don't have projectile weapons. Their spears are thick shafted, heavy stone, they're thrusting tools. We know that they were getting in close to their quarry because they have bone damage that's similar to the kind of bone damage we see in human beings who are in, involved in cowboy rodeos, where you're messing around with large, angry mammals. The Homo sapiens do something different. They start to develop very thin spears, not with stone tips, but with bone tip, and bone is much harder to use. The point about these is, right, they're very good as projectile weapons, they're very light. And human beings develop the spear thrower and sling, and they start to develop the ability to carry multiple missiles and project them at a long distance. Now that requires, right, increased development of your frontal lobe area, which is going to turn out to be, of course, very important, as we'll see, for enhancing your intelligence. Think about how deep this is in your cognition, this idea of, like, throwing, right, right. Think about how you talk about how you have a project that you're working on, right? Project, you're throwing. Or people will talk about, oh, there, over there, there's an object. That means thrown against. Or, I'm the subject. That means thrown under. All day long, cognitively, you're throwing. That's because this throwing task is such a complex task. I mean, we take it so trivial that, you know, there's a moving target and I throw something, I can hit it. But if you try and build artificial intelligence to do that, as the military has discovered, that turns out to be a really, really hard problem. So there's the projectile weapons are developing, the calendrics, the music, the sculpture, the paintings. Right? What's going on? Why is all of this stuff exploding? Now, notice how all of this is associated with different aspects of what we mean by meaning. Obviously, there's art and there's music, that's somehow meaningful. 
But there's also time is being made more meaningful. It's being measured and understood in calendars. And even time and space are now more meaningful because they're being used right, in this highly dynamic way in projectile weaponry. So what's going on? Why did it occur? Well, there's a lot of good work done by this. Uh, David Lewis Williams, Matt Rossano's work in his book, Supernatural Selection, I think is superlative. Um, his articles like, did meditating make us human? I got the pleasure of meeting uh, Matt. And he argues uh, for what's going on at this time is a radical change in human cognition that's in line with the work of other people like Michael Winkleman. We know that before the Upper Paleolithic transition, about 30,000 up to 60,000 or 70,000, it's unclear because there's various times of what this might be happening. We know that we went through a near extinction event. Human beings almost went extinct. We were crunched down, they think maybe to a maximum of 10,000 individuals. We'd almost died off. Part of it seems to have been the overall climactic change of the end of the last ice age in Africa. Part of it, there's a super volcano that goes off around 70,000 years ago. Not sure. But what happens is there's tremendous pressure put on human beings. Uh, they move to the coasts in, in general to try and survive. But human beings seem to have adopted an interesting response to this. Now, first of all, they diversify their diet, blah, 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 blah. That's all important. We'll talk about that. But what's really interesting is that is the, they don't come up so much with a technological response because the climate's too huge and too poorly understood. They come up with a socio-cognitive response. What human beings do is they start creating broader trading networks. You see, because when you do that, you're not as subject to individual environmental variation. You have much more resources, both in terms of what people can have, what kind of discoveries they're making. And so what happens is people start forming these much broader trading relationships. Now that's very significant because it, it opens up the scale at which human cognition has to operate in an important way. And human beings plausibly responded by developing things that we see now as pervasive. They developed a bunch of rituals, and we're going to talk a lot about why ritual is so important, for dealing with both the environmental challenge and the enhanced social network that they were creating to deal with it. By the way, we're going to talk about that a lot in this series, how your cognition is very much participatory. You participate in distributed cognition, large networks of cognition. Many, way before the internet networked computers together, culture networked brains together in order to provide some of our most powerful problem-solving abilities. So what are the rituals? Okay, so you need various trading rituals. Because the, the thing you're doing now, and, and, and again, think about how this, you take this for granted in living in a city. It is the deep presupposition of civilization. You 
hang around with strangers. Lots of them. And that's just like, oh yeah. Well, it's not oh yeah. That's a hard thing. Other species don't do that. So what's happening is we're getting this shift. We're having to interact with people that are not in our kinship group, in our hunter-gatherer group, and we have to form relationships with them. So we start to develop rituals to, that have the function of enhancing our ability to come into communication and relationships of trust for individuals that we do not personally know. You say, okay, that, that's why you still do stuff that makes no sense. You meet somebody, you meet it's somebody, like you do that. You, you stick out your hand, and they grab it, and then they move it up and down, right? This is to show you have no weapons. This is allow the person to touch you, to see if your hands are clammy or not. There's all kinds of intuitive stuff going on. I can feel how tense you are. Most of us don't pay attention to this stuff anymore, but it's there when you shake hands. When you ask, how are you? Now again, that has become trivial, so we don't want an answer. How are, how are you? We don't, well, somebody starts answering you, oh no. But originally, that reflects something. Because think about what important skill has to be enhanced for these rituals. I have to be able to take your perspective. I have to know what's going on in your mind. I have to know how you feel. I have to be able to move from a first-person perspective to a third-person perspective really, really well. Because if I can't do that, I'm not going to be able to trade with you. Now that ability to take enhanced perspective on others, especially people that you don't know, really means you have to develop an ability Daniel Siegel calls mindsight, the ability to pick up on other people's mental states. And here's the thing. As you start to increase your ability to pick up on other people's mental states, you increase your ability to pick up on your own mental states. And that, of course, is going to be part of the origin of things like metacognition and mindfulness. Then the next type of ritual you need, it goes in the other direction. The trade rituals is how I deal with strangers. The problem is, now, when I'm starting to interact with all these people, right, my commitment and loyalty to my group is now more in question than it used to be in the past. It could be taken for granted because you just were with these people and they were with you all the time. But now, if you allow me the word, there's temptation from the stranger, which of course is now part of all of our myths. The way the stranger can come in and tempt us. Right? And so what do we do? Well, we create initiation rituals. Rituals that are designed to show right, our commitment to the group. And those rituals often require risk, threat, sacrifice. Now our rituals, our initiation rituals have been very tamed down, right? But if you look ba back in time, these initiation rituals are often very traumatic, dramatic. People are put into situations in which they, they might experience tremendous pain or fear. We'll talk about some of these as, as we go through the series. So why? Like, why make somebody go through pain and fear? Because if they go through pain and fear, that shows that they're really committed to you. They're really committed to your group.
But what does that mean cognitively? What does it mean for what, how the mind gets trained? You have to really improve your ability to regulate your emotion. You have to really improve your ability to call, do what's called decentering, to let yourself, right, be in the hands of other people. A non-egocentric perspective. Because what's important now is not, it's not centered on you. The ritual's centered on you, but you, through the ritual, are being centered on the group. So this is having, again, tremendous impact on your cognition. Now, there's a third kind of ritual that starts to emerge. And it seems to have picked up on these cognitive enhancements that the trade rituals and the initiation rituals bring. So I need to introduce an idea to you that's going to become pervasive. This is the notion of exaptation. Exaptation. Now originally this is an idea from biology, but the work of Michael Anderson has brought it directly into uh, understanding how the brain operates and how cognition operates. Exaptation in, in biological terms is an evolutionary mechanism. Uh, so for example, I'm using my tongue now to speak. Okay? Tongues did not evolve for speech. If they did, all the animals that had tongues would be speaking at you, and that'd be terrifying. Especially your cat. If your cat talks to you, I'm sure that, well, that would be terrifying. So, so, what did tongues evolve for? They evolved to move food around in your mouth, so very flexible, and they're poison detectors. So they have all, this is your last defense, right, for poison, yeah, right? So they have all of these nerve endings. So you have this highly sensitive, highly flexible muscle. Now just because of the way we evolved, this muscle is also in the air passageway, because evolution is not an intelligent designer. You use the same tube for breathing and for food, very bad design, but nevertheless, that's how it is. So your tongue can interrupt your airflow. Flexible, sensitive muscle that can interrupt airflow, that's what I need for speech. So the tongue was exapted. Evolution didn't have to make a speaking machine from scratch. It took something that evolved for one purpose and was able to exact it and use it for another. So what Michael and Anderson and others are arguing is very often this is what the brain does. The brain will develop a, a mechanism, a little machine, a set of cognitive processes for doing one thing, and then it will use how to learn how to reuse that for something totally different. We're going to talk about that repeatedly uh, through this series. So what happens is that these enhanced mental abilities that are coming out of the trading and initiation rituals seem to be taken up into another set of rituals, exapted into, that seem to be also pervasive. These are shamanic rituals. These are shamanic rituals. We know that the ability to become aware of the mind, right? to control the mind, to control your emotions, are being trained, as I said. We know that human beings, just because, we'll see more about this later, just because they're highly intelligent creatures with sophisticated consciousness, seek out altered states of consciousness. 
In shamanism, what you have is you have a cultivated practice for altering your state of consciousness that taps into and exacts this enhanced mind sight, this enhanced ability to manipulate and control your mental state and your emotional state. Now, Michael Winkleman's work shows that pervasive through hunter-gatherer groups are right, shamanic individuals. In fact, the shaman is such a pervasive historical figure that I think you can make a good case that it has become an archetypal figure. Uh, something like, uh, you know, the wise old man. So Yoda and Merlin, these are all shamanic figures. What we know about shamanism is that they're the best, best health care you're going to have for a long time. Right? And we'll talk about how and why that's the case. We know that if you've got a shaman in your group, it's going to help to reduce right, discord within your group. It's going to enhance your hunting abilities of your group. Now, I, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in any supernatural abilities or spirits or things like that. So I seek an alternative, and Matt Rosano and Michael Winkleman, I seek an alternative explanation of why are shamans so effective? What is going on? And what I want to talk about is how central shamanism was to the upper Paleolithic transition. Because a plausible case can be made that it's the advent of shamanism that helps to explain how human beings are capable of this sudden explosion in their cognition. Because of course the thesis is the thesis of several people, as I mentioned, Michael Winkleman, uh, Lewis Williams and others, Matt Rosano. Because here's the issue, right? It's not a hardware change. The brain has already existed for 160,000 years. It's not changing significantly during the Upper Paleolithic transition. It's much more likely that it's not a hardware change in the brain, it's a software change in how human beings are using the brain. And what, part of what I want to argue is that shamanism is probably playing a significant role in that software change. So, so now I need to introduce yet one more other term, and again this is going to be important. This is the idea of a psychotechnology. Okay, so technology means the systematic use of a tool. This is a tool right here. First thing to understand, and this is Andy Clark's phrase, you're a natural born cyborg. Your brain has evolved across several species to use tools. In fact, when you start using a tool, even for a very short period of time, your brain will start to model it as part of your body. That is why you can do weird things like when you're parking your car, you can feel where the edge of your car is and all that sort of stuff. You're a natural born cyborg. You have evolved to be integrated with machines. Look at me, I'm a cyborg. Look at this around me. The only thing that's natural here, biologically, is naked me. Everything else is a tool. Everything else is, these are tools. I wasn't born with clothing. I use this in order to modify my ability to move through environments and carry stuff around. This is a tool, this is a tool, this is a tool. This is a tool. These are tools. 
Now, what's interesting is that can be exapted. Your brain's ability to attach to a tool can move off of a physical thing onto a cognitive thing. So a physical tool fits your biology, see, fits your biology and enhances it. Right? I can leave permanent marks that I can't otherwise do biologically on this board. I have a bottle. It fits my hand and I can carry liquids around. If I had to carry, like that's the amount of liquid I can carry for a minute. It fits your biology and enhances it. A psychotechnology fits your brain and enhances how it operates. And you, you say, what are you talking about? What's a psychotechnology? Look! Here's one right here. It's called literacy. You're not born literate. You're born linguistic. You're born learning how to talk, right? Noam Chomsky, all that sort of thing. But you're not born literate. In fact, for most of our history, we were completely illiterate. What does literacy do for you? It's a standard set of tools that standardize how you process information. Notice how it enhances your cognition. I don't have to hold all these terms in my mind. I can leave them there on the board. I can write stuff down and come back to it later. So notice what I can do. I can take my brain now and link it to my brain back then and my brain in the future. So. Those are, I'm networking all these instances together. I'm improving my cognition. I can also network my brain with your brain and improve my ability to solve problems. Think of, if I were to do this to you, I'm gonna take literacy out of your brain right now. And you can't, and I mean literacy in your head too. You can't imagine words. You can't put stuff on paper. You can't reflect on your own cognition. I take that out of you. Your brain is the same hardware, but the, the problems you can solve collapse down dramatically. That's what psychotechnologies do. They do. They enhance the software of your, of your cognitive machinery. Now, shamanism is a set of psychotechnologies for altering your state of consciousness and enhancing your cognition. So, what does, what does shamanism look like? What are the kinds of things you do when right, you're a shaman? There are many people, of course, claim to be practicing shamanism today. And that's another thing. Why this rise in neo-shamanism? What are people thinking they're trying to get from it? Okay, so... The shaman does a lot of interesting things in order to get into a particular state. So, the shaman will often engage in things like sleep deprivation. Intense, long periods, hours of singing, dancing, chanting. The shaman will often engage in Imitation, put on the clothing, mask that represents some other figure, some other animal, right? Sometimes the shaman will go into periods of isolation, social isolation, 
go out into the wilderness. And of course, although it's not necessary, but it has been pervasive, shamans will make use of psychedelics in order to help bring about an altered state of consciousness. So, so what, what's going on here? Steve Taylor in his book, uh, Waking from Sleep, talks about these disruptive strategies that people even today use in order to try and bring about a, what are called awakening experiences. These radical transformations in pe people's sense of self and reality. We're going to talk about that. But one of the main ideas here is what a shaman is typically doing is trying to disrupt the normal ways in which you're finding patterns in the world. Why would you want to disrupt the normal way you find patterns in the world? Because the way you find patterns, and remember I said this, the very thing that makes you adaptive also makes you subject to self-deception. The way you find patterns, right, is very profound. So, this is something I study as a scientist, right? Many of you may have seen this. All right, so this is called the nine dot problem. You have to join all nine dots with four straight lines. You, you have to start the next line from the terminus of the previous line. And when people see this, they initially say, well, this is very easy. Of course I can do this, right? One, two, three, four. Oh, wait, I missed the middle dot. Okay, one, two, three, wait, one, two, wait, one, two, and then they pause. This actually turns out to be a very difficult problem for people to solve. Joining all nine dots with four straight lines. But why is it hard? One line, two lines, three lines, four lines. What was hard about that? And when you do that, of course, people get angry at you. They say you cheated. You went outside the box. You went outside the square. That's where think outside the box comes from. Now why that was hard is because you projected a pattern here. The square. And then you engaged unconsciously, unconsciously, your skills of connecting the dots. When you were a kid, you connected the dots. And when you connect the dots, you're not supposed to do this. Make a non-dot turn. If you do that, you won't get a picture of a picnic table, you'll get like an acid trip psychedelic thing. Right? So, unconsciously, you project a pattern, and then you activate the appropriate skills, and then you're locked and you're blocked. You can't solve that problem. It's not because of anything there in the data, but because of the way you have framed it. You have to disrupt your framing. We're going to talk a lot about that. In order to get an insight. In order to get an insight. Now, let me tell you something. Again, to start to introduce this to you. Saying to people, think outside the box, and this is kind of funny if you think about it. Saying to people, think outside the box, does not help them with this problem. Giving them the belief that they have to go outside the box does not help them to solve this problem. That's what I meant when I said, you shouldn't reduce all of your sense of knowing to believing. 
What's involved here is not believing that you have to go outside the box, it's knowing how to go outside the box. How to alter your attention. How to change the perspective on what's, so what's salient to you, what's relevant. How to alter what's important or real to you. Now what shamanism is, is it's a set of practices, disruptive practices and attentional practices that are designed to disrupt everyday framing so that the shaman can get enhanced insight. Well, now what kind of insight? Insight into patterns in the environment that other people might not be picking up on. Enhanced insight, mind sight into other people. And, and, and here's this, that, this sense of participatory knowing that I mentioned. When the shaman is enacting the animal, the shaman isn't having beliefs about the demon. The shaman is becoming the demon. I don't mean metaphysically, but the shaman is trying to get together the sense of the skills, the way, the kind of perspective the deer has, the way the deer thinks, the kind of world the deer lives in. And by becoming the deer, by having this participatory knowing of what it is to be a deer, it enhances the ability to track and find the deer. Now these enhanced capacities for insight and mindsight, participatory knowing, means the shaman combines a lot of things that are for us in separate individuals. Shamans are highly charismatic. Imagine if you could take a rock star, like a super rock star, a super therapist, a super artist, put them all in one individual and then they come to you when you're sick. They can enhance your ability to, to trigger your own placebo effect. The placebo effect is real. 30 to 40% of all real medication, the ones we sell as real drugs, is placebo effect. If you have an individual can, that can trigger that, and that's all you have at that time, that's still 30 to 40% better than you had before. See, so what are the shamans doing? Notice what they're doing. They're really enhancing their capacity for cognition. Now what we're going to do in the next video is we're going to come back to the shamans. We're going to talk more about what they're doing, how they're enhancing their cognition, and why this played such an important role in making human beings into the kind of meaning makers there are. But we'll see what it is, right? but you can see already, notice, in order to tap into all these kinds of knowings, in order to bring about this altered state of consciousness. Notice how much the shaman is manipulating the meaning of things, which isn't the same thing as being a charlatan. So we're starting to see right from the beginning, the connections between meaning making, altered states of consciousness, and enhanced capacity to be in touch with the world. And then what's the connection to wisdom? The word shaman means one who knows, one who sees, one who has insight. Shamans are considered wise people.
And that's why, you know, that's why we have all these words. The word wizard means a wise person. Okay, okay. so that's okay. it for our first video. To get a sense uh, from this of how we're going to proceed. Thank you very much for your time. John the VK, aka Johnny Vul, up in the MAZ. That was play. I was there for you, baby. Whoa. Whoa. That's what I'm saying. Hey. WMIV. Says that really took his lectures to a whole new level. Feels like it works. Who'd have thunk it? This psycho technology known as Meaning Wave. Also works in a live workout fashion. That was pretty flipping sweet. I had a couple of sort of cool all over body chill moments. I don't know about you. Yeah. It's funny when I was first listening to that the first time, the first time I nearly crashed my e-scooter is when he started talking about natural born cyborgs. I remember where I was when he said I was I was on uh on La Brea, is it La Brea? I was, in, I was going up towards Hollywood Boulevard. I had a Mel's Diner to my right. I had to pull up quick on the side and I nearly got run down. All right, up, natural bot, cyborg! Anyway, uh, just think there's actually, I've, been, I've got a bunch of unreleased uh, Johnny V tracks in various states of completion and one of them is natural born cyborg. Anyway, you, I, I mean, I'm, there's a bunch of moments in that that would be beautiful records. What's cool is, is just really dope as a mix. It was very dope as a mix. By Joe. Andrew Kumarami says, are you going to do all 50? That's up to you guys. Would you, I mean, would you guys be interested in hearing more? In this fashion, would you be interested in a regular series of live scoring? Or at least trying another one. Benjamin Gunn says Terminate rain nothing on us. Zelly. Matt Photo Lounge says reminds me a lot of Alan Watts, but more modern thoughts and overall amazing mix. Hey, thanks. Sheila D613, that was really interesting. Totally done. 
You know, he's a fellow, he's a fellow Canadian, Sheila D613. Why are all these Canadians so smart? What's going on? Where do all these smart Canadians come from? Road chat is going crazy out there. What's the chat saying? Yo, 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 yo. Fuzzy Cheese says, take me to school. WMIV says, yes. Word XP says, yes. Stephen Kung says, count me Ed. Free Speech Zealot, yes. Adam Stone, yes. D-Man, please. Cree, yes. Dylan Gallagher, yes. Give me more, yes. Madison, that was lit. More lectures for sure. Robert Easley, yes. Free Speech Zealot, yes. Azarius Quiet. <laughs> Matthew Coe, yes, this was amazing. Lots of yes. 2076 says yes. I don't even know yet. Nick Wayoga says, is that a rhetorical question? Imanus Lysanis, he says yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm in. Tuesday, deep wave night. Could well be. We were looking for a regular thing for our Tuesday. We've got Dune on Wednesday. We've got Meaning Wave live every Monday. We've got the Super Request Show on Thursday. Could it be, brothers and sisters, that after 200 and... I don't know how many 50-something streams we started to get some kind of form. Yo! Zach Souser, this is really great idea. Let's have more. Crisis Tuesdays, Book Club Wednesdays. Yo! Yo! Whoa, that was dope. Says, keep them coming. That's just dope. Draft42 says, I'm behind, but holy shit, steal the culture is a banger. <laughs> you at the beginning! Shumane 45 says, meaning is a drug in its healthiest form. Meaning is the way. Yo, well, this is, uh, you know, it's the meaning crisis. It's awakening from the meaning crisis. It's the most meaning wave thing on earth. Whoa, whoa! Mike Bassis says, I felt like it was a peek behind the curtain of the underworkings of what meaning wave does in my brain. How many of you have actually heard this lecture series before? And how many of you have uh, never heard it before? Let me know. Uh, say first time, say yes or never. No, say say you've heard it before or you've never heard it before. Let me know in the chat. Heard it or never heard it. Because uh, your boy goes in deep. It was really cool listening to it being, you know, the guy who made Meaning Wave because he spends a whole bunch of the episodes basically explaining how and why Meaning Wave works. It's very cool. Sheila D's never heard. Sativa Skunk, never heard. Fuzzy Cheese, never heard. Rose Mickelson, never. WMIV's heard two-thirds of it. Thought Object, never heard it. D-Lars, listen until episode six so far. Nice. Man, he gets real deep. Never heard Adam Snow, never heard. Cree, never heard. D-Man, first time. The Fine, never heard. Shit, there's a lot of people who've never heard. <laughs> Ryan Waddell, never heard. Dylan Gallagher, never heard. Savage Chill, never heard. Yo. Word XP, I haven't heard this lecture series. But I've been to two of his lectures at Psychedelics Conference. Yeah, he knows about that stuff. George Sufi, never. Sudra Sedge, never heard it. So much meaning I am catching up on. Yeah, there's a lot of meaning. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we'll, we'll do another one next week, and next Tuesday, and see how we go. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to get through. It's very epic. Uh, it's very epic. Full Killer says, I never heard it, but I have heard Akira say psychotechnology. Yes, you have. Meaning Wave is a psychotechnology developed by Akira the Don with the aim and purpose of helping listeners achieve their potential in this lifetime. Did you know? Matthew Coat never heard, Free Your Mind never heard, D-Lars episode six right now. Alec Moran said, I've heard these things before, but not from his perspective. Andrew Kamarami, thank you, God, for Meaning Wave. I, well, indeed. Aesthetic 86, brain software update finished. 
Sazer, I wish YouTube had a rating. I'd love having the Don sending us on a new musical journey. I know, right? Part of me still wonders if we should be simulcasting on Twitch at the same time. I don't know. I'm, I'm constantly uh, simultaneously conflicted on it. Um, and my main reasoning for not doing it is that... Uh, Broadcasting to two different places at once splits the energy of the audience um, somehow. And if you like talking to different chat rooms is weird and you guys not all being together is weird, you know? Now, I'm fully aware that most people actually listen to this on the replay. And, uh, you know. But I don't know, it's, it's still strange. I still wonder. D-Man says, do it, do what? Yeah. YouTube Hero Alex says we could go find some live music channels and post the link in here. Yeah. You all need somewhere to go en masse, don't you? And different explore voyages and explorations. D-Man says do it, but only one chat gets access. <laughs> Andrew Kamaromi says, have you tried it? Yeah, we tried it a couple times and it was cool. But it was weird having to split one's attention uh, in multiple places. And, and it was kind of weird having some people over there and some people over there. Yeah. I think I'll keep it how it is for now, to be honest. It seems to be working fine. You know, it's working good. The morning shows, if you can come to the morning shows, they're getting really lit. They're getting really joyful. Uh, and the people are talking about them, you know. Word around town is the Mean Wave Morning Show is the best open format DJ set on the internet. I've been hearing word around the campfire. Word around the campfire that Akira the Dawn on Twitch experience is the greatest live DJ experience of the modern era. Yo! Becca H says we need to start having Discord after parties for the YouTube streams. That's a very good idea, Becca H. That is a very good idea, Becca H. Why aren't we already doing that? Should be doing way more with the Discord. Like, uh having listening parties and things of that nature. Good doing that, do that. Hey, everyone, all back to the Discord and put on this album or this mix or whatever. Dance in the Discord, dancing in the Discord. YouTube Hero Alex says, I'm looking into getting the Discord going for some after stream things. Yeah, baby, that's beautiful. You know, we keep growing. As this wave keeps growing, baby, we're gonna be needing more of that sort of thing. You know, more joyful party experiences. Amanda's Lysanity says mornings are bonkers. Mornings are bonkers. Aesthetic 86 is after the party is the Discord lobby. I miss playing that record. I'm gonna stop playing that record again. I used to play that record like every Saturday night. Pretty much, almost every Saturday night, it was one of my favorite records to play. And like the second it dropped, dun, 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 everyone would go, "Whoa!" Everyone would be so happy, you know. And uh, yeah, everyone loved hearing that record. R. Kelly, Ignition, loved that record. You know, for years and years and years, everyone knew that you know he, he, he was um, he was a bit of an odd odd fellow, you know, odd fellow. Everyone saw that Boondocks episode. Everyone saw that Dave Chappelle. But everyone was, it's an amazing record. You know, you have to separate the art from the artist. But, you know, I was DJing in the club one day and I put it on. These girls started throwing shit at me and hissing. It's like, what the fuck is going on? What happened? And uh, 
someone ran over and like, oh, Kira, Kira, didn't there was there was didn't you see the documentary? Mm. I don't watch TV. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, it's a documentary. So there was, there was a documentary on HBO, and now suddenly you're not allowed to play R. Kelly because there was a documentary. There was already the Boondogs episode. There was already Dave Chappelle. Why does that documentary on HBO make a difference? Like, what? What? I miss a memo. Now we can't hear it. Now we can't listen to ignition. Shit. Shocking. Anyway, I snuck in a bit of the world's greatest in one of the streams. Maybe it was this morning. I am a lion. I am a tall tree. Ooh, I am a river. I'm a valley. <laughs> yeah. Mason says, how about a glorious amphitheater concert party complete with ancestor holograms? That's what we're aiming at. That's what we're aiming for, baby. Yo. Beckett H says, I think we're up to three level five hype trains in a row. We are. We are. Uh, three level, level three, level five hype trains in a row on the Meaning Wave morning show. Yeah, very, very epic. Very, very epic. Uh, tomorrow will be even more epic. Do you know why? Because that's the Lord of Thermodynamics. Yo! Akira. That's six says, I want the streams projected onto the moon. Yo, me too. Hey, who wants to hear a song? Who wants a meaning wave song? Before we go and have a Discord, but you go have, go have a Discord party. And uh, I go enjoy my table. In case you weren't here at the beginning, your boy Akira the Don's finally got a table. We got a table we can sit down and eat together. In our house, we've got a table and it's pretty stable. Are you excited? I'm excited about the table. What is going on here this first time? Computer's doing weird shit. Dropbox is doing weird shit. Do any of you have Dropbox? Do you ever have a thing where the Dropbox just suddenly starts spawning loads of files? And it says they're all invalid. What are you doing, Dropbox? Don't do this, Dropbox. It's, it terrifies me because my DJ library's in Dropbox, you know? And, um, anyway. I know what song we need to listen to. We need to listen to this song. Yeah. This amazing song that you currently can only hear right here. You can only hear this song right here on the stream of me. I just gotta get it up. That's what she said. No, she didn't. That's not what she said. That's what someone else said. I've just gotta find the song. Why can't I find the song? What is going on? What is going on? Where is my song? Don't tell me Dropbox has deleted my song or something. That would be unpleasant. <laughs> it is not. Search is very imperfect, I've got to say. Search is entirely imperfect. Like, sometimes you type in the name of something, you know, full well is there, and search says, no, there's nothing there. What you chat about? It's there. By the way, I've got to shout out everyone who's supporting today. Thank you, Alec Morand. Uh, thank you, Luke. Thank you, D-Man. Thank you, Benjamin Gunn. Uh, thank you, Darian Byler, who says, Bida123 loves you, Akira. Oh, Bida123 from the Meaning Wave Morning Show. Everyone loves Bida123. Uh, Matt Lally, go bless you. Here's an epic record. Whoa! Therefore, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day 
is the evil thereof. I spent a long time trying to figure out what that meant, too, because it's another no. one of those lines that can easily be read as pro-grasshopper and anti-ant. Remember the old fable of the grasshopper and the ant? Maybe not. I'm not going to tell it, but the ant works and the grasshopper fiddles. The ant has a pretty good time in the winter and the grasshopper dies. Oh. And so this is like a pro-grasshopper line, but it's not. It says something else. It says that if you orient yourself properly and then pay attention to what you do every day, that works. That works. That works. That works. And you can live in the day. Stream. I think we found a cool thing. Pretty excited. We'll do another one of these next week, see how it goes. Yo! Shout out to John Vivake! Go follow him on Twitter, Vivake John. Uh, the link for his YouTube 
is in the description of this broadcast. I'll add his, I'll add his Twitter in that as well. Maybe I can do that now. I can't do that right now. I'll do that after. Yeah. 2076 says he does live guided meditations. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. You can go check those out. Whoa, D-Man says just when you think you got MAZ figured out. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. We're going to keep flexing, baby. We're going to get fle- We keep flexing. You know, I always used to say uh, hip-hop is the ultimate musical art form. Because uh, it can incorporate anything into itself, you know, and it just constantly keeps flexing its barriers and moving and changing and shifting forms and incorporating new rhythms and ideas and styles and sounds and so on and so forth. And like, you know, that's us over here, baby. That's the M-A-Z. You know what I mean? That's what we're doing. We're, we're constantly pushing and refining and, and, you know, cracking at the edges of this thing, see what we can and what we can't do and how we can make it cooler and iller and more useful. Make it more useful, baby. Operation useful. Speaking of useful, thank you everyone who supported tonight. You are useful without you and without your support. This would be unpossible, impossible, not possible, and all of the other words that have a thing before possible in the negative. So thank you. And if you want to support the wave, you can uh, do a bunch of things like become a member of the channel you can do that get access to the emojis go to meaningwave.com uh, check out the new Christmas collection it is dictionary definition Homerian is what it is if you look up Homerian uh, in the uh, dictionary uh, the, d- the definition unless some uh, ideologically possessed nerd has changed it this week but the definition should be a picture of uh, meaningwave.com is what it should be it was last time I checked Picture of meaningwave.com. Uh, why is that not working? Picture of meaningwave.com. Picture of the website. Picture of the new epic merch collection. Meaningwave Christmas merch collection out now. Go and get amazing Christmas meaningwave clothing uh, in order to be properly attired this family season. And if you've got lots of people coming to visit you uh, because you don't listen to governors because they're twats uh, and uh, they don't care about your health, because if they cared about your health, they would have banned McDonald's. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you're ignoring them and having a really big, sexy party, uh, I would advise ordering lots of Meaning Wave hoodies and uh, Meaning Wave velvet jogger pants and uh, everybody wearing them, you know? Everybody wearing Meaning Wave jogging pants in crushed velvetness. I mean, not crushed, just velvet. Just velvet. I don't know what crushed velvet is. Is it velvet that hasn't been um, ironed? Or is that what it is? I don't know. Uh, I'm not a 16th century lord. Just a 20th century wave lord, 21st century wave lord, even. Whoa, holy cow, mama. Meaningwave.com. And yeah, if you hit the resources button there, you'll find the donate page. And if you want to donate, you can donate. You know, we've got a PayPal, we've got a Patreon, we've got a Bitcoin, uh, we've got a Venmo, we've got a Cash App, and we've got a mailing address if you want to send us something, you know? If you want to post something, we've got a P.O. Box. 100 Commons Road, STE7. Number 212, Dripping Springs, Texas, 78620. Bye, Joe. And uh, yeah, that's very nice, isn't it? Very futuristic to have a P.O. box and a Bitcoin thing. Amazing. 
We'll be here tomorrow morning, by the way, on Twitch. Come join us for a sexy Twitch party. If you've never been to one, hey, why not get up early and come and have a party early in the morning? Or maybe you're in Australia and it's your night time. It's perfect, in which case. Yes, that was didn't feel very powerful, that one, though. Perfect. Anyway. Yeah, 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 that sort of stuff you can do, baby. You can make a donation via one of those links. You can buy the music at Bandcamp. Uh, but one thing you could definitely do, and I would definitely advise it, if you want to help spread the word of the wave, is let someone know today, baby. The truth. And the truth is this. Meaning wave. Meaning wave. Meaning wave. Raise it on a postcard, carve it on a tree. Yell it from a rooftop. Climb up a mountain. Shout it into the void. Mini wave exists. It exists today and with your, with your support, with your permission, with your love. It will be here tomorrow. Oh my goodness. It's Love Coach's birthday. Happy birthday, love coach. Make some noise in the chat for love coach's birthday. Shouts out to you. I hope you're having a wonderful day. And we are grateful to the very gods for the existence of you. Baby, Epic Stream executed. Epicstream.xa executed. All that remains is that by five. Bye.